Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, episode 18. My name is Alina Warwick, and today I'm greatly honored to chat with Layla Pence. She's a multimillionaire who immigrated from Egypt at the age of 12 with her mom. Her journey to the States was not an easy one. War broke out in Egypt when she was nine years old, and she was forced to be separated from her family to live with her grandmother. That changed her life forever. In this episode, we talk about how she created her wealth management firm at the age of 22. She's been featured in Forbes' list of top women wealth advisors, America's top wealth advisors, and best in state wealth advisors. She's also been entered in the Barron's Hall of Fame Advisors Barron's Top Independent Wealth Advisors and Barron's Top Woman Wealth Advisors, to name the few. Oh my, she's been featured all over the place and fairly known as one of the top wealth advisors. Our chat was filled with rich advice and her journey to success was quite astonishing. So let's dive right in. All right, Layla, thank you so, so much for taking your time out of your busy life to come on my Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I really appreciate your time and I'm really excited to hear about your journey. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm really excited. So let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the States? So I am from Egypt and I came to the States many, many years ago when I was 12. And it really is an amazing story now that I think about it. (laughs) You know, I was nine years old at the uh, 1967 war in Egypt. And we lived in the Suez, a city called Suez. And I remember very well, it was a Sunday morning and we were having breakfast with my family at the veranda. And I heard this very strange sound. And that's the sound of the siren letting us know that, that there's bombs and that there's the war started in the 67 war. And And that really where my life changed. So with that going on, uh, we lived, you know, right by the Suez Canal, right like a block away. So my parents took us and we moved inland a little bit in Suez. And then, you know, a few weeks went by and we thought things were settling down. So we decided to go back to get some of our clothes and some of our things from our home. And and we had a beautiful villa with seven bedroom villa. My dad was the president of a bank and and we had we had everything, you know, going for us. And and while we're back at packing and getting some of our stuff, once again, we heard this very bad siren telling us that there's bombing going on. So my dad started saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. And and, you know, of course, we're. We're taking our time trying to pack things. Anyway, we we pack our stuff, we get into the car, and just when we're turning at the front of the street, turning right, we heard this bomb, and we saw the bomb hit our home. Wow. And, yeah, and the, the bomb actually hit the, in the room I was in. I was just in there like a few minutes before. That's and, crazy. And so that really changed. That's when our whole life changed, and then all 
that point in time, we realized that this war is, is um, going to separate us. So my mom and my dad had to stay uh, because because of his job. He had to stay and work in, the, in Suez. But the rest of us, and I have, I'm one of four daughters. I'm the youngest mm-hmm. of four girls. And uh, my older sister was actually married. So, and I went to French school. So the only place that had a French school was where my grandmother lived. So mm-hmm. here I am at nine years old. They had me go live with my grandmother all by myself. And she was, and that was a tough year to be away from the family and, and my sisters. And, and, you know, at that time there was no telephones that uh, she didn't have a phone, you know, she had no TV and it was, it was quite a year. This um, was during the war that was happening in Egypt. Yes. Wow. Um, and then after that, you know, my dad, after that, he decided, you know, that this maybe it's time for us to immigrate to the United States. Mm. And so he did all the papers and we got all the papers and we were ready to immigrate. And it was just going to be me and him and my mother because my two sisters were going to college. So they were staying behind with my other sister. Mm-hmm. So the three of us were supposed to go to New York. And about a month before we were supposed to leave. My dad fell and broke his leg in many places. Oh no. Yeah. So he couldn't come with us. And so it's just me and my mother. We had to come. Otherwise we were going to lose our visa. Mm. So uh, here we are, you know, just the two of us flying to New York city. We had no family here, just the one friend that actually sponsored my dad to come here. We had no cousins, no, no, not one family member, and not only one couple that were friends of ours. Was and the was the? I'm sorry to interrupt. Was the war still happening when you guys were immigrating? No, no, okay. the war had, had stopped. Okay. Uh, but but it was just time. You know, my dad. You know, we had moved to Cairo from Suez, and he didn't like living in Cairo. It was very crowded. And mm. this friend of his, you know, my said, you know, with your background in international banking, that you should move to the United States and you can get a job here at, at banking with your experience. And and that sounded great to my dad. And that's when we did the immigration paperwork and we, we decided to immigrate, except that he, at the last moment, could not come with us. Mm-hmm. And just me and my mother had to come by ourselves. So you guys came to New York, just you and your mom? Yes. And how old were you? Twelve. Wow. Okay. So did your other family members join later or did they remain back in Egypt? Uh, So they remained back in Egypt for a long time. Eventually, two of my sisters moved here about many years later um, because they they both wind up getting married in Egypt and staying there for a while. But eventually, uh, my dad came. Oh, okay. But me and my mother initially had to, uh, you know, we we live with this family that sponsored us. But then after a while, we we moved in with a, a Puerto Rican family. We rented a room uh, with them so that me and her can just we couldn't afford anything else. So we had to move in in that room and we shared it with this family mm-hmm. until eventually my dad was able to come. And that, wow. that was a very hard year. I remember that's one of my hardest years. I had to to go to school. I had to change two buses to, wow. to go to school. And 
And I, I was really, I, I never been so cold in my life, you know, coming from Egypt yeah, <laughs> and, and not knowing the proper closing or, or anything. I remember having to wait for that bus to, to go to school and not feeling my nose and my ears and my toes. And, and, you know, when you come to the United States, you're always, you, you know, you always have the idea that the streets are paved with gold. Yeah, <laughs> right. you 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 know you you're picturing all the good and and then when you first come here you really you do have a lot of struggles and you have to overcome that and that was it but nobody tells you about that as much but you know once you overcome that it's still I believe it's you know you do you can't achieve the American dream which I've done later on but initially it is hard and you have to you know we had to live with quite a bit between the language and the cold and the lack of family and friends and uh, just being very lonely. I mean, it's not like it is today where you have cell phones and computers and so forth. Back then it was none of that. It cost mm-hmm. a fortune to call home and you can only talk for two minutes. And mm-hmm. so it was a much different, it was much, much harder than I think it was, it is today. And you, but you just do what you have to. Right, right. And what did your mom end up doing? Where did she end up going to work or how did you guys support yourselves? So, so, you know, one thing about, about United States that, that it's amazing, it is a melting pot. And in, uh, in um, high school, I met this Egyptian uh, girl and because she's Egyptian, I'm Egyptian, we be, of course became immediate friends. And then she met her mother and then her and her mother got us a job to work on the Staten Island Ferry. And we both started selling hot dogs and knishes on the Staten Island Ferry. I would finish my uh, my school and I would walk down the hill to the, Staten Island, to the ferry and I would work on the ferry in the snack bar selling hot dogs and knishes and coffee to all the people. You know, in New York, people work in Wall Street or they work downtown New York and then they would take the ferry across because they lived in Staten Island and mm. it was five cents. So it's, it's you wow. Know, yeah. And, and so, you know, I remember like when the minute the doors open, you know, when people come in, they would come right to the snack bar and, <laughs> you know, get a snack until they get home. And that's, uh, so I worked for several hours on the Staten Island ferry. My mom got a job there as well because my, my friend, and her mother both worked on the Central Island Ferry, and they both uh, got us a job, and that really helped. And then my mom also uh, went to a school to learn uh, better English. Of mm-hmm. course, she spoke broken English all her life, but it definitely improved <laughs> with yeah. and working. Yeah, so that's how we supported ourselves until, um, and then we continued to work there too when my dad came. Oh, got it, got it. And then where did your dad get a job? So he got a job at Chemical Bank because he, he was a banker, and that's uh, that's a friend of his that sponsored him. Got him a job at Chemical Bank, which no longer exists. I don't. Know. It was bought out by different banks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back then, that was the name of it. Did your dad know English? He knew certainly the most of us. I knew French because I went to French school, and he knew English and and French. Got it. Got it. So let's go back a little bit. What was it like growing up in Egypt before the war broke out? It was actually great because we were, you know, we would consider middle class. And my dad being working 
for the bank, we always got a uh, an apartment or a house or a villa in this case. And going to French school was was really great with my sisters. And I, you know, we had in my house. We had uh, trees. We had mango trees and guava trees. And wow. And we had, yeah, and we had a car and a driver, and and we had uh, caregivers, you know, that helped us and. And you know, we had a close family, and life was was really good. I, I I think I'm pretty sure if it wasn't for the war, I would still be there. But you know, when things happened, that really changed everything. It's mm. it's changed, it's changed our world and separated us. And that is really scary. Yes. So before you tell our listeners about your company, tell me about the path you took. Did you try to go into any other fields before starting your business? Well, you know, I really, when I started my business, I had no idea that this is a business <laughs> I would, I, would get. I really fell into it. I mean, I remember when I was really young, I, you know, in Egypt, families want you to either be a doctor, a pharmacist, an engineer. Those are the three things that, you know, every, every family member, you know, you can achieve <laughs> success if you're one of those and maybe even a lawyer, but not really. It's either pharmacist, a doctor, an engineer. So I was thought maybe, you know, being a doctor until I saw blood and fainted was, <laughs> that was not going to be something I would ever want to pursue. So, but I, I, my dad being a banker, I was always interested in finance or money and, and economics. And really in my last year of college, I, I met this all through college. I waitress, I put myself through college by being a waitress. And so I met this gentleman and, and uh, he told me about, about uh, investments and about, you know, starting into tax shelter annuities and investments and so forth on a part-time basis. Mm -hmm. And he got me, he recruited me, you know, uh, taught me and recruited me in in that business. But I thought it was just going to be a part-time job, like like all the part-time jobs I've been having to go through school. I had no idea at that time (laughs) that that would turn into what I do now in a much bigger scale. Awesome. Awesome. So you took that job and how long did you have that until your next well, it, move? It, so basically, you know, I started working for, for this one company and doing tax shelter annuities and, and so forth. And then I, I qualified for a convention and I went and, and I went to Arizona and I met my mentor his name is Carl Romero, and uh, he saw this, you know, saw me, this young, I started playing backgammon with one of his associates, and I was doing so well, and he talked to me, and he says, you know, if you could do so well doing that, that really, you can double your income if you come and work with me, and so. You were playing what? A backgammon. And I was, and, I was, I was beating all the guys, you know, okay, so. so clearly you had some skills. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that caught his, it caught his attention. You know, this, this 22 year old that's already qualifying for a convention and, and yeah, so I, he saw something in me. I, I had no idea what he saw, but he saw, and he, he, uh, so, and it turns out, even though we met in Arizona, that his office and everything was only five minutes away from where my other office where I lived. So when I came back home, I went and saw him. And then I started in the financial services, you know, 
to do more. He got me licensed and I and, and then I got I went to get the CFP certified financial planner. And that's really when my business, you know, just started then. Got it. Got it. So what did you study in school? Economics. And so at what point did you decide that I'm going to drift away and open up my own wealth management firm? Well, uh, what uh, initially what we did is, you know, when it was all about like reducing costs, so I joined uh, Carl and other associates in a, in a big office. And, and I just, what we did is we, I started my own business then, but I, but we shared expenses and we shared uh, costs and I had one assistant. And then our format was where, you know, we had one receptionist and one file clerk and we were all independent uh, businesses, but within one big office so that we can still ask each other and we can still do joint marketing and we can still do things jointly. Uh, and that, that helped because I do believe in any business and key to success is to have a mentor. You have mm-hmm. to have someone that that you can look up to that could that has done it or is doing it so that you can see there's a path that you can do that and, and someone to guide you, either mm-hmm. a person or a firm or no success can ever happen by yourself. I believe that strongly. It's who you surround yourself with uh, is the most important thing. That's so powerful. So powerful. Thank you for sharing that. So tell us about Pence Wealth Management and what you guys do. All right. So fast forward to today, I uh, Pence Wealth Management does has two sides to it. It has the financial planning where a client comes in and we, we look at everything they have. We look at, you know, what their goals and objectives is. And we, we put together a plan that takes care of their cash flow, their estate planning. We look at their insurance. And then our main focus, of course, is to manage the portfolios. So we manage stocks and bond portfolios for our clients. And that's where the other side of my firm also does most financial advisors they do the planning but then they may use outside managers to manage the money and I learned long ago that no one cares about my clients like I do Mm. when we have down markets and 87 and other market downturns the when I outsourced my investments to other professionals they didn't care about my clients like I did so Mm. I realized that we really needed to manage our portfolios here. And that's where my husband, who is extremely talented and a Harvard graduate, heads that side of the business on a day-to-day basis with me, of course, being like the top at the day-to-day operation of buying and selling. We have a whole team that does that. And they come into the office very early and they do the investment management of the portfolios. And we manage over $1.8 billion of assets today. Wow. And uh, we have 28 employees, including myself. There's 28 in the firm. We have three offices and we take care of clients' wealth. And it's really important for us. What distincts us is, is really our servant's heart. I believe that it's when people trust you with their money, that it's very important that you have a servant's heart so that you we're here to serve these clients as opposed to having the attitude that, you know, that we're lucky you know, to have their money. We we do just the opposite. We mm-hmm. emphasize everybody that works here 
must have a service heart. And we have a very diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. We speak 11 languages. Wow. Mm-hmm. We have about half the people here are women, half are men. We really hire people based on their talent and th- their heart. doesn't matter, you know, wh- who they are or how old they are or, or where they're from. Uh, they just have to meet those two criteria. They need to be talented, smart, yes, and also have a servant's heart. And so, because there's many people, there's 450,000 financial advisors in this country. Wow. And one of the reasons, you know, I'm one of the top 100 is really is our team. I get a lot of the accolades, but it's it's all teamwork. It's the most wow. important thing about about successful or, the, or reaching the American dream is to really surround yourself with people that do things that you don't know how to do and that can help you and have the same vision. Wow, that's amazing. So Leila, how old were you when you started Pence Wealth Management? Initially, um, you know, principal management is a derivative of the financial planning firm that I started at 22. I changed it to Pence name when my husband came aboard. And that was about, uh, I think he came aboard about 22 years ago. And then we officially changed the name to Pence Wealth Management because it was important to have his name on the door as well. So you started when you were 22 years old? Yes. Wow. So how did you guys handle the stock market crash back in 2008? It was, you know, we have a very, very unique approach because we do manage our um, portfolios. And I have uh, really, really smart people. We've, we handled, we actually grew 35% that year. No way. Yes. And so, you know, it's been one of it really made us go to the next level because we did things a little differently. You know, we're, we're very much, uh, a lot of our clients tend to be a bit older and pre-retirees and retirees. So we were very, very, very important for us to protect the downside as well as get the upside. So we manage our portfolios where we reduce risk or increase risk depending on where the market is. And like this year, we've had one of our very best years in yes in growing our assets and also in the performance and so it's a team I have that it's so good and we you know here at five thirty in the morning doing the work and doing what's right for the clients. That's amazing to hear that while everyone was losing money in two thousand eight two thousand nine and you guys grew by thirty five percent. That's actually astonishing to hear that. So you guys are definitely doing something right. <laughs> Thank you. Where do you think you got your entrepreneurial drive? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe, you know, being a woman in a man's world, you know, in Egypt, if you don't have a boy to carry on the name of the family, you know, and my mother, you know, my parents had my three sisters and they really weren't going to have any more. And they, they waited 10 years. And then my mother my grandmother kept telling my mother, you know, you really have to have a boy, you have to have a boy. And then I came. Uh, <laughs> so I, I guess I always felt I had to prove something. You know, I was the youngest of girls and, and I really wanted to make my parents proud and my family proud. And I felt that that, you know, people did see something in me that, you know, I I picked up things very quickly. I, I was very good at school. Uh, and so 
you know, sometimes luck has to do with it. Is meeting a person like that that saw something in you that that pushed you to to get into that is sometimes. But then you have to take the opportunity. You know, I I also believe I had to work twice as hard than most people to to get to this point because, you know, I'm a woman. English is my second language. You know, I'm and a minority. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. so you you know, but you can't let these things. You, you can't let any of that get back to you. It's really, that's what's great about this business here. It's really all depends. It's all up to you. You know, when you work for yourself, when you have a business, you don't have to please your boss. You you know, it's really, it's all in, in your control. And that's why this kind of business or being an entrepreneur in any business. And that's why I think immigrants make have a lot of businesses. I find the clients that I have, you know, they start sometime maybe just doing real estate or they, they use their sweat equity to succeed because they see the opportunity here that nothing is going to be given to them. There's not going to be a, an inheritance that's going to come down because, you know, from their families, they're going to have to make their own wealth and they work a lot harder and, work twice as hard, but they do succeed because they see the opportunity. There's unlimited opportunity in this country. Unlimited. So powerful. Amazing. Looking back to when you first immigrated and you were in New York living in that family, sharing that one bedroom with your mom, did you ever, ever think that you were going to be where you're at today? No. No, I, never, not in my wildest dreams. No, I, I, I knew that I would do something, you know, that I would certainly uh, be successful. But I never imagined uh, ever that I would be in a position now where, um, you know, with the assets I have and and mm-hmm. and the prominence. And uh, I mean, one of one of my greatest joys was uh, meeting the president of Egypt. Uh, getting invited oh, wow. to go meet the president of Egypt. And the reason that was so important to me, because it made my dad so proud that wow. his little girl, <laughs> right? Because, you know, yeah. he didn't have a boy. Yeah. He eventually said that every one of his girls is worth a thousand boys, but that was a lot. Yeah, I had to <laughs> achieve that success to get that. <laughs> but being, being, you know, recognized as one of the top Egyptian successful women in this country and being invited by the president of Egypt, uh, President Sisi, to go meet with him in New York was quite an achievement. And and it's a lot of times, you know, we grow up trying to please our parents. And maybe that's that's, because you love your parents so much and you want to make them proud. And and I know my daughter is doing what she does because she wants to make me proud. And and that's, (laughs) and, and that's, that's great. You know, and that was a big achievement. And that, uh, no, I never imagined that. But I, I knew that I could do, that I could become successful. I just didn't know to what extent. Amazing. Leila, did you have to raise any capital to start your business? No, that that was really, it was more sweat equity. Uh, I had to work that business. I worked, you know, I remember very well my very first client that I have, she, um, gave me $20,000 to invest. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited that night. I remember not sleeping all night. I couldn't believe how, you know, anyone would trust me with $20,000 of their hard-earned money. That. 
And and I just that was my very first one. And it's just that's kind of what you need. You need that very first success, you know, that you can build on. And okay, if that person can trust me, then the next person can. And and the way you do that, you know, is I had to really I took time at night to learn about taxes and and learn about computers and and you know you have to you can't be successful without working hard you mm-hmm. do have to work hard and you have to work uh, you know extra hard to to succeed if you really want to get to that next level and your minimum investment right now is not 20,000 isn't it 500,000 well actually the firm minimum is 500,000 my minimum is 2 million Oh, okay. <laughs> From but, twenty thousand to two million. <laughs> that's exactly right, and that yeah. But my firm here, I have other advisors, and so we 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 have a firm minimum now, just because there's only so many hours in a day to help people, and 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 so we have to you know have a minimum. But yes, yeah. it, it definitely ha- has changed, and but without the first twenty thousand, I wouldn't be here. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. And so did you, I know you mentioned you had that one mentor at the very beginning. Did you have any other mentors either that helped you out to start your business or throughout your entrepreneurial career? The second mentor is my husband. He, he's been a great addition to the firm in, in uh, increasing the vision of uh, expanding like we have and reaching out. So I have to give him a lot of credit uh, <laughs> in, in taking the business to the next level as well. And his name is Dryden Pence. <laughs> Dryden Pence. Awesome. Dryden. Awesome. We'll give him a big shout out here. <laughs> All right. So what do you think prepared you to become an entrepreneur? Was it taking courses, reading books or education that played a big role? All the above. <laughs> I, I definitely you gotta have the education you you have to people are not trust you with their money unless you can tell them and that you know more about it than certainly they do and, and you have to guide them you know i mean unfortunately money is is very very important and you know causes divorces it causes all kinds of bad things so having a good financial picture is really important. And for people to trust you with managing your money, you have to truly excel at what you do and, and know more and do the right thing for them. So education, knowing all the avenues, knowing the risk, knowing the taxation, we do a lot of tax planning. And we also look at the holistic picture, you know, we, we include, you know, we have to look at the real estate insurance. You have to look at all these things. So you have to be, educated and you have to continue to be educated and you also have to stay motivated because in order to get the success you have you have to you, you know you can't encounter a lot of failures and and certainly you you have to stay positive and i remember you know going to and, and listening to motivational speakers because you do need every once in a while to refresh and get motivated and and being pointed to the right direction. So, and I do believe to be successful, you have to spend money to make money. And so if you don't do that and then you're going to stay small. And if you really want to get big and, and offer whatever business or services to other people, you do have to invest in yourself and invest in the business that you're in to grow. 
And uh, and of course, you know, you have to read big read books. I read, you know, Think and Grow Rich. I read The Millionaire Next Door. There's a lot of very good books out there because no matter what business that you're starting and so forth, you still need to stay positive and you still need to manage your your money positively and correctly so that you can have the funds to grow your business and also to retire. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I know you mentioned a little bit about failures. I'm really interested to know how do you look at failures and how do you overcome them? You know, I remember when I got, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was really worried about, you know, that people won't think I'll have the time. And I did have a client of mine basically says, ah, now that you're going to be a mother and having a baby, I'm taking my money away from you because you're not going to have time for me. Oh, wow. and I remember crying all night about that and, and thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, clients are going to leave me because they're going to all think that way. And, and you know, I remember having uh, to really overcome that. And, and actually having my daughter has been the greatest thing. And, and it always um, because most of my clients have their children and, and then, it, you know, life starts all over again when you have children. And yeah. <laughs> most amazing thing. And I have an amazing daughter, I have to tell you. But. <laughs> But I had to go through, you know, you have to go through failures. And this is why it's really important to to be surround yourself with positive people. And and if they're not positive, then that, that that's they will bring you down. It's it's the most important thing. It's, it really is your mind is the most important thing in succeeding. How you foresee that whatever's happening, whatever failure, it's not gonna last. I mean, this is like the things with, for example, what we're going through now with COVID and things like that. It, mm-hmm. These things are not going to last. You know, you have to look. You have to look into the future. This is how how we manage the portfolios this year. You know, the, people are very worried in March about the markets and so forth. But you have to realize that nothing, whatever is bad right now, it, failures like that they don't last, and you have to overcome them. You have to, you cannot succeed without overcoming failures, and you can't succeed without having failures. Mm-hmm. You have to, you're going to fail um, before you succeed. I remember reading about Meryl Streep, how many people turned her down before she became one of the most successful actresses in the world. But she, you have a lot of failures. If you, you, there's books you can read about anyone who is success must have failures in the beginning before mm-hmm. they succeeded. And you look at that and you go, yes, okay, that's a failure. You can't let it stop you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you have, for us, when you have market downturns, you know, things that uh, those are clients get worried and, and they worry about their markets and so forth. And But it's actually, you look at those, we turn those around and we, we tell them that these are opportunities and not, you know, that volatility is, is can't be their victim, that it has to be their success. And that volatility mm-hmm. actually gives us buying opportunities. So you turn a failure into a success. Right. Put in more money. Time to buy. That's exactly right. People actually in March gave us more dollars than ever because we gave that message. And it's all about that turning failures into successes because, you know, if you don't have failures, you don't have as much success. So so if you fail, you just pick up yourself and get back up there and figure out how to how to overcome and, you know, have people around you that can help you. 
Right, right. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So let's switch gears and talk about successes. Are there any successes that you would like to outline from your immigrant entrepreneur journey? And I know you mentioned so many <laughs> already. Yeah. You know, one of the things is um, in order to be successful, I, I really hated public speaking. Right. I mean, that was like, oh, my gosh, do you know, they say people hate public speaking more than anything in the world. And I was one of them. Right. <laughs> and I, I realized if I was going to reach people and if I'm going to be on TV, if I'm going to reach a wider, I had to really overcome that. And so I went and I took some classes and I, you know, practiced and and pushed myself. And it's not it's it's probably one what was one of the hardest things, because it is not a natural thing. It's not a natural thing. You know, my husband is natural as public speaking. My <laughs> daughter is now a natural at public speaking. I was not a natural. And I had to overcome that. And that was now I do I do quite a bit of public speaking. I still don't love it. I still don't wake up saying, oh, my gosh, I'm going to speak to a group of people today. But I, <laughs> I think that was that is something that I, I feel is one of my true successes because <laughs> I, I was always great on a one-to-one, -one, but to actually talk to a large audience, that was not. And so I feel that that was one of my greatest successes. And it is something that that I think people, um, you know, it can be overcome. You can overcome that and that you can be a success. Anyone can. You just have to keep doing it and and working at it. And I believe that that is, uh, beside, of course, the successes I've had, um, you know, in my area here, I you probably already in the tell them that you know I'm the sixth woman advisor in the country by Forbes and I've had a lot of successes and Hall of Fame by Barron's and and so these are amazing successes and yeah. but I think one of my biggest successes is being a good mother to my daughter, helping her. Uh, she's an amazing little girl and uh, that's uh, I think my biggest success is is having a uh, a daughter that has a first rate heart and a first rate mind. Oh, you did a really good job. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Leila, is giving back either volunteering time or giving back to the community something that is part of your business values? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we believe, you know, when you're, when you're starting, when you're growing your business and you're, you know, you, you get to a point where when you're really successful, it's really, really important to give back. And I recognize that early on. And I also recognize that in a lot of the clients I have, I found the clients that give the most actually grow the most. And I started, you know, seeing the world and seeing there's so much that we can do to help others. And so we support many, many charities, uh, local charities. Uh, I'm also a trustee on, uh, on uh, Claremont Graduate University. We, we give to hospitals. I support hospitals in Egypt uh, as well as hospitals here. My daughter's school, right now we're supporting an institution called Working Wardrobes that helps people getting into the workplace. A lot of times when people lose their job, they have to look the part to get a job. I know right now it's a lot more online, but they still have to. And this institution here helps uh, educate people looking for new jobs and get them the right wardrobe and give them a computer and give them a, an iPad and, and really train them so they can succeed. And I, I really think that that's, you know, you can give 
a person a job, but if you can teach them how to get their own jobs, then they'll also help others. So I really like to support that, uh, and I also like to support things in the in the medical field because uh, and children specifically mm-hmm. children children are our future. So mm-hmm. institutions that help children in terms of you know when they get sick when they get cancer it's it's not a it's, it's no fault of their own mm-hmm. right they you know they're born with with, with you know cancer so I I feel that uh, and there's a lot of success in that area but they need funds so I, we help a lot of college uh, a lot of hospitals that help those kids and treat those kids for free like they uh, there's two hospitals in Egypt that do that and so we support those quite a bit and uh, one of the things that I I also having a one daughter and only child it was really important for me to have her have those same values so she the whole family is involved in giving back you're giving back in so many ways. You're changing the world one day at a time, Layla. <laughs> well, That's awesome. <laughs> I, I think it's it's important. If we don't do it, who's going to? Right, you right. To, you have to pay it forward. You know, right. I, I know a lot of people help me to get to this to this point, and it's really important to help others. So, if someone can't invest to million dollars. <laughs> where do you think they should start as far as investments in their retirement? One of the things is I recommend investors, you know, especially younger ones, to read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, because the most important thing about investing is that you have to, you should at least put 10% of your income away first and then spend what's rest. What a lot of people do, they get their money, then they spend, and whatever they have left, then they say, oh, we can invest and save that. Yeah. <laughs> the time, by the time you get to that, you know, with advertising and everything else, there's really nothing left. Yeah. Right? So you really need to begin to, uh, you, you need to have a plan and you need to put money aside first, you know, retirement plan, the 401k plans, everyone that has a 401k plan should take advantage of that. I just did an article about that a few weeks ago and about the benefits of saving in retirement plans. And then, you know, they should definitely, the stock market, we think is a great place. Stocks and bonds is is, is a, a very, very good place to begin investing. There is a lot of places that help you with that. Most important thing is not to get too crazy and, and not to go for the stocks that I think are going to double or triple. I mean, yeah. look for a balanced portfolio. And and I do recommend that, that people seek out advice. There's a lot of financial, very good financial advisors everywhere and really seek advice and have a plan and not just try and you know, have short-term mm-hmm. trading and all that because in the long run, long-term investments, what in my lifetime, I've seen it over and over, over. When you trade, you make small dollars. When you invest for long-term, you make real dollars. And That's so amazing. I recommend that, that they either uh, work with a financial advisor or, or work with a, a large firm that can give them some advice, but to have a plan and to, Invest first and spend after that. Awesome. Awesome. And then if they can do more than 10%, 30%, they're in a better start, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, I, I, I tell people the only way you can stop working is that your money has to work for you. So right. you have to have a bucket of money that can work for you for you to stop, for you not to work. Right. And you have to 
take that time. And the younger you start and the earlier you start, the easier it's going to get. And people say, well, you know, uh, you know, I, I'll do it later. Or, you know, procrastination is like the worst thing that people do all the time. And if they could just begin investing, like you said, if they can do 10 or 20 or 30 percent and they also make, you know, take advantage of all the things that the government gives us. There's, you know, the IRA accounts, the 401ks, there's pensions, there's all kinds of vehicles out there that people could utilize and really success and, and, you know, provide for their children's college plans, 529 plans. And there's a lot of tools that they should be looking at to have a good financial future. And and I do believe in moderation. I, I believe that you should do everything in moderation, whether it's spending or whether it's saving or investing. Uh, what I find is people tend to do either spend, 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 or save, save, save. We believe in, that you should do everything in moderation. Thank you so much for that valuable advice. What are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business listening to you right now? You can't do it alone. You have to surround yourself with with other people. Get a group of people. The one thing about, you know, like I said, very for first person that got me my first job was an Egyptian. And so there is a lot of communities. If you have a community, you know, go out and look at the com- at, at communities, but don't, don't get trapped in the community, right? You don't want to get trapped in a community, but certainly look for people in your community to, to help you out, to find a role model. And also you have to be passionate. If you do things for the money, you're not going to succeed. It's mm-hmm. really important that you do things because that you really are passionate about it. That's, that's you know, one of the things that drives me every single day is, that, is the ability to make a difference in people's life. Is, you know, so if you find whatever business, whatever, whatever you're going to do, it needs to be something where you can be passionate about it. Because at some point in time, if you're just doing it for the money, you're going to get burned out and it's not going to succeed. Whatever business you you want to really need, you need to be passionate about it. You need to enjoy it. You need to have it where it could help other people. And you need to surround yourself with a team and find people that are good at things that you're not good at. I, you know, if when I want someone that does research, I find the best researchers, you know, for accounting, I find the best account, you know, I find, get surround yourself with people that do things that you're not good at and admit, you know, you know, the, the leadership or, or entrepreneurship is really all about that is about having people around you that could do things that you don't know how to do and that you can work on a team and then treat them well. You have mm-hmm. to treat people well and you have to give back to them and not be in a selfish position where it's all about you. It's, it's about having a team, have the same and have the rewards there. And then whatever, whatever business you're going to do, make sure that it's not just about the money. Awesome. Such amazing and powerful advice. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm going to wrap up with these super, super fast questions. If you're okay with that. Go for it. Okay. What time do you normally start your day? Nine o'clock. How many employees do you have? 28. How often do you watch TV in a week? Every night. And how many how many hours of work do you normally put in a week? I used to put in a lot more. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I used to work weekends and evenings and everything. 
years ago. Now I work, I try and work about 40 hours a week, 45 hours. Awesome. Awesome. That's probably because you have the best systems in place and the best people around you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Leela, thank you so, so much for coming on my show. You're a true inspiration to so many immigrants listening to you right now. And thank you so much for spreading the word and the inspiration. I wish you all the best of successes and thank you again. You are so welcome. I'm so honored to be on there. And I hope if anything I said could help someone, then, then that is really what I you know, it's, it's like I said, it's about giving back and pay it forward. And I hope your listeners can learn something from there and, and know that America is truly, is I'm living the American dream. And really, if I could do it, if I could be a woman, you know, like I said, second language, no money, nothing to succeed, anyone could do it. If I could do it, anyone can. Alrighty, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I just wanted to ask if you can give me a quick shout out wherever you're listening to this podcast on whatever platform you're on. And I'd love to give you a shout out as well on a future episode. Also, if you are an immigrant entrepreneur and want to be on my show, send me an email and we'll get something scheduled. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.